I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa Porgy. I serve here as the executive pastor at the table, and I'm excited that you guys are with us. Good job making a church on Labor Day weekend. Someone who keeps the gold stars, you guys all get one on that chart, okay? So you guys did great. Thanks for being here. If you are a guest with us, maybe this is your first time with us, we would love to connect with you. You can text WELCOME to 817-755-1668, and you'll um, just get in contact with our pastoral staff, and uh, we can, you know, answer any questions that you guys might have and, and help you get connected here at the table. So I am... Really excited about this series that we've been doing. Um, we've been in this short series called This I Know, and Bill has been reflecting on some of the things that he grew up growing up in church um, that he, you know, was just confident of. And, uh, you know, one of the songs, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, and all these other, you know, uh, Sunday school songs. And I was kind of talking to him this week, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't have those, um, those uh, experiences and um, very little exposure to Sunday school or songs or anything like that until I was an adult. Um, and so, like, Bill and I probably wouldn't have hung out in high school, you know? We were running with different crowds. It was a lot of life pre-Jesus. But, um, but I, I was a little intimidated about this, uh, this sermon series because this I know, this confidence that, you know, that he has from, uh, from growing up in church. And um, here's what I knew. Church was boring. Um, Christians were boring and judgmental and hypocritical. And uh, there's no way that their God would want me a part of that club. Um, and I didn't really want to be a part of that club anyways. That's what, that's what I knew. Um, and it wasn't really until about 16-ish years ago that I semi-voluntarily went to church. Um, and it was like a foreign country. It was like a, a language I had never, I mean, you could just, been, they were like speaking calculus. Like, I didn't know what they were saying. I don't know if you guys know this. Christians have these weird things that we say and stuff. And I did not have exposure to that. And there were these people that had this confidence and the certainty that I sure did not have. And um, I'll never forget the times where I was sitting and the pastor would say like these dreaded words where he would say, as you know. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Right? Or um, he would say, okay, we're going to say this together. And they would recite these verses. And I'll never forget that um, the pastor wanted us to all say John 3.16 together. And um, I did not know that. I did not know what it is. And there's like this six-year-old kid that's just like belting it out and like showing off. And I'm like, shh, shh, you know, you're making me look bad because I didn't know. You know, and or the pastor would be like, let's flip to the book of, you know, whatever. And I, you know, I needed to go to the table of context, which there's no shame in that. We should go to the table of context. It's fine. But there was just this, this whole certainty and confidence that was happening in church, and I did not have that. Um, and, and really, as I, I sat in church, we, we ended up going to a church because we were, Matt and I were in a really dark place in our marriage. And actually, Matt had gone to a church, this church, the week before by himself. And he came home and said, I'm not, we're not getting a divorce until you come to this church with me. And so I did. And I, like, sat a seat away from him and, like, made sure everybody knew I didn't want to be there. And I was really just going to prove them all wrong. That's why I was there. Um, you know, just, y'all are boring, this is crazy, um, 
You guys are going to judge me. Um, and, I, and I really did my best <laughs> to um, not uh, like it. And um, you see how that worked out for me. But um, this guy, <laughs> preacher guy, got me curious because he spoke about Jesus in a way I had never heard. And frankly, the Jesus that I heard about was always like tail ending or had some like bad words after it, you know. So I didn't really have this frame of reference of who Jesus was. And he spoke of him in this like, he's like this humble, kind, gentle friend, servant, who understood the depravity of the world and loved us in spite of our best efforts to continue to mess it up. And so I started reading the Bible very slowly, very slowly, and with Google right there because I didn't understand some of the things. But I did begin to read the Bible. And I listened, and I prayed, and I read, and I asked questions. And I kept saying, like, does God really love me? Jesus really loves me. Like, in spite of everything, he, he loves me. And he died for me. And all of these things that I was, I was hearing in church, I was starting to connect it to what I was reading. And then it started to connect to my soul. And honestly, I think sometimes we read the Bible for information. It was transformational in my life. It changed my heart. And I got to this place where I was like, you know what? I actually believe this crazy stuff. And what am I going to do about it? And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. We are forced to respond. Uh, our response no matter what it is, doesn't change him, but it sure changes us. And I, I, I stand here changed by being made to respond to the love of Christ. Um, I love how the series has laid out this case of what I had to respond to, what we all have to respond to, that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to save it, to save me. And I had to respond how, how, I had to figure out how to respond to that love. And I will tell you, that love changed my life. It changed my marriage. It changed my eternity. It had changed the legacy in which my children will inherit. It changed everything. And today we're going to dive into some really good stuff. I was really excited to share with you. It's just cool how what God's Word does when you get in it and just speaks right to you. I've, you know, I get nervous coming up here. I sweat, and you'll see sweat rings because I didn't wear a good shirt to cover them up, you know. But, like, I get nervous coming in and talking in front of people. But what God's doing through His Word is so exciting to me, and we get to look at some really good stuff. And so we're going to do a little bit of Bible flipping. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it. If I didn't say this in the last one. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles. And so don't leave here. If you would like a Bible, we have Bibles. We want you to have a physical Bible. But if you don't have one, stop at the Connect Center and we'll get you one. Um, or it's going to be on the live event, the Bible app on your phone. You can find it there. Um, or it'll be on the screen. But we're going to be in a couple different places in John. And then uh, we'll be looking at Scripture in Matthew and Leviticus. So we're going to... We're going to turn to John. Um, it's funny, I, um, as I was coming to faith, I was a teacher and a coach. And my girls actually helped me remember 
the Gospels because they would say this prayer that never really stuck with me until I started reading the Bible. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Blessed Field we're playing on. I don't know why they said it, but it helps me remember the order of the Gospels, so I use it. So, um, you know, it takes all sorts of things. So we're going to be in um, John 15 this morning. So we're going to start there, 15, 9 through 17. Jenny has to stop laughing or I'm going to keep laughing. Um, but so we're going to be there, uh, this beautiful passage of scripture, um, just the words in red. I love it. Um, so join me there. Uh, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that fruit your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in the Father's in the Father in my name he will give you this is what i command you love one another so to kind of give you a little more context of the scripture, let's, let's go back a couple chapters to John 13 and uh, jesus has been preparing his disciples for a while now listen i'm going to die <laughs> this is i'm going to leave and he had been preparing them and we find them in the upper room just hours before Jesus' death, and he is um, preparing them on the way of being his disciple, and it was to be a servant, and it's this beautiful scene in John 13 of him getting down on the ground and washing the feet of his disciples, the king, the savior, washing the dirty feet of his disciples in a great show of humility. And it's just after this, Judas is revealed as the one who will betray Jesus and set his death into motion. And it's such an amazing part of scripture in John 31. It says, and then he left. It talks about Jesus or Judas leaving to go and tell his conspirators where Jesus was. And Jesus, knowing this, gives this new command and thir uh, 1334, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see a new command. So there must have been an old command, okay? But we see in, in Matthew 22, we see that Jesus is being tested by these religious experts, these religious people would try to trick Jesus and see if he was really knew the law. The law, um, the Old Testament, where God gave commands to keep the Jewish people in right, standing with the Lord and all these rules. And Jesus knew them. He operated under them. He was Jewish. He knew them. Um, and the religious expert said, okay, which of these is the greatest commandment? And so Jesus gives him the law, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second it is like, the, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So he's saying here, these are the two greatest commandments, and everything else hinges on these two commandments. But we see Jesus say in John 15, I love you as I have loved, love others as I have loved you, which is a new command. So is he rewriting God's perfect law here? Is he saying God's law is wrong? And I don't think so. Okay? I think Jesus is not contradicting or replacing. I think he is expanding and um, enhancing and demonstrating the spiritual depth and aim of God's law. In Leviticus, this is where it comes from. Leviticus 19, 18. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against your mem- against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the law, to love your neighbor as yourself, and then this new law, this new command that Jesus gives. In Leviticus, we see the yardstick, the gauge, is the love of self. Okay? Like all relationships, most of our relationships have a ten- tend to have dysfunction in them, even the ones with ourselves. Okay? So it's not a great gauge of how to love people. Right? So Jesus is shifting the focus from outer actions to inner attitudes. He's removing room for any technicalities here. He's saying, I'm watching you tick off and follow the letter of the law, but you are not having to obey the spirit of the law, the aim of the law. And when we do that, we understand God's intention for the law. Okay, it's like when you tell your kids to stop touching each other. Stop hitting each other, okay? Stop hitting each other. They're causing fight or whatever. And they stop, but then little brother puts his finger right here. Right? I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Okay? So technically, is he not touching her? I'm talking about my own kids, okay? We got a little brother in my house. Technically, he is not touching her. But is he following the spirit of what his parents said? No. Okay? He's still causing conflict or whatever. Okay? So th- we're seeing Jesus enhance what is being said here. And in, in John 13, we see why it's so important to dig into John 15. It's because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's changing the scope here. He's making himself the gauge, the yardstick of loving each other. He's modeling the command to a depth and extent that we have never seen before. He's telling the disciples, I chose you. I appointed you. I have shown you everything my father has shown me. I'm calling you my friends. You are to remain in my love, and that is how you will tell the world of me. The kind of love that Jesus is modeling for us demands a response. And again... It's our response to either remain in his love for him or not. And we have to look at the characteristics of Jesus' love to understand the, the, the response that we're being called to. So we see the depth of his love. We see how deeply he loves. Okay, most of us can tolerate people ish. Okay? But to like care about them, um, to sacrifice for them, even to the level of sacrificing yourself for them, the depth of Jesus' love is seen in his sacrifice for himself 
on our behalf. He references his own death in verse 13. No one has greater love than this to lay his life down for his friends. That depth is what got me. Because I always try to consider myself a good friend. But I didn't believe that anybody would love me that much. I mean, how do we respond to how we love someone when we understand the depth of Jesus' love for us? And, and I think about everything he endured, the humiliation, the torture, the total vulnerability of being nailed to that cross. And that's our response, is vulnerability. To love deeply, to care deeply, we have to step out of comfort, conformity, security, and step into the messiness of relationships, and we have to risk our pride, we have to risk comfort, we have to risk being rejected, to love. There is no relationship with any kind of depth without vulnerability. And we think of being vulnerable with the people that love us, right? Well, I'll be vulnerable and tell people who like me and who are for me my stuff and extend myself for them and sacrifice them because I know that they love me. But what we are called to is to do that for all people, even the ones that might not like us or agree with us or look like us or vote like us. Scary. That was a joke. Okay. Um, So... (laughs) Those are the people that we're safe to be vulnerable with. That's not the call here. It is to make ourselves known as his disciple by the depth of our love through our vulnerability, vulnerability, which being vulnerable, y'all, is scary. And it is hard. And a lot of times it's one-sided. A lot of times it's us being vulnerable with someone else. Man, and when you do that, when you put yourself out there, you can be rejected. Like, yeah, I don't, not really feeling you, right? That feels great, you know? But would we stand, let me back up. Most of us would never have to lay our lives down, physical lives down for someone else. Most of us will never have to do that. But would we stand up for injustice of someone who's being oppressed? even if it means standing outside of our normal circles? Would we admit that we were wrong in a situation? Would we help someone that, I think of a friend in the church, she donated a kidney to someone. Would we do that? Would we take a lasagna to someone that we know might be going through something? Would we listen to a hard conversation that we feel uncomfortable in? Would we open, expand our circles, invite different types of people into our circles so they can feel loved, they can feel community? Are we invitational? Is to care about people who you love? Yes. Who you like? Yes. Who you don't like? Yes. Who don't like you? Yes. To be vulnerable is to be uncomfortable for somebody else's sake, and we need to think about it for Christ's sake. Jesus nailed, naked, exposed on the cross, the most vulnerable a person can be to show us the depth of his love.
We see the patience of Jesus' love. Jesus was superior in all ways, but his patience always gets me. I mean, how many people, how many relationships are you in? So, you know, friendly, maybe, you know, work, friendship, family, that people irritate you, annoy you, frustrate you. You know, they say the things that make you fall in love with your spouse are the things that make you want to murder them. You know, as you get like, right, right? Okay, so we all have these things. How many relationships have ended because of that? How many relationships do you think have ended because someone has just an annoyance or a frustration for other people? I've heard this in ministry before. Uh, minister, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. I've never said that. Um, but I find a lot of comfort in knowing people got on Jesus' nerves too, okay? He says, how long would he have to put up with an unbelieving and perverted generation in Luke? He was grieved over the little faith of his disciples in Matthew, yet loved them still to the end and even promised a helper when he left. Patience has been destroyed in relationships in our climate. No longer are we long-suffering in a relationship. It's like, I don't agree with you. You said something I don't like. Whatever. We're done. We're out. And we move on. But I'm so glad that Jesus has the patience with me because the Lord knows I need it. Because I always learn the hard way. That's the only way I learn is the hard way. And so when I am confronted by this unrelenting patience that Jesus has for me, my response has to be grace. The unmerited favor that we do not deserve, that we cannot earn, the gift of God is to extend grace, have grace. And we stink at grace. I mean, we want it all day long, but we don't like to give it. But we have to be about the work of God. God is about the work of reconciliation. He sent Jesus for us to be reconciled back to him because of the sin that separated us. He's about that work. So we have to fight for grace and relationships. We're so quick to write people off. We are so quick to never fight for reconciliation in a relationship. We have a disagreement. We just don't talk anymore. Families have been separated for decades because someone roots for the Cowboys and someone roots for the Vikings and they have a fight at Thanksgiving and then we don't talk for 30 years. I mean, it's been like that, right? We have to have grace. And grace is holding a space for, to work through misunderstanding. So when something is off, or something maybe is hurtful, or someone reacts poorly, or disappoints us, or fails us, our response is to remember how patient Jesus has been with us, with our failures, way we disappoint, our poor reactions, and we give grace in the space of that hurt. I've, I have found that I have... People have been frustrated with me. You know how I find out more than anything? They unfriend me. I was thinking about something the other day. You know, I haven't seen anything about them. And get on Facebook, unfriend. We're not a friend anymore. I'm like, oh, what did we do? What happened? We didn't have a conversation. When we have these graceful conversations, I told a story a couple weeks ago that someone in the church came to me and said, man, what you did, it really hurt my feelings. And she didn't have to do that. But the space of grace that she held allowed our relationship to reconcile. 
It allowed me to say, God, I'm so sorry. It allowed me to learn. So many relationships die due to lack of grace. To follow the example of Jesus' patient love, to bear each other's burdens, to learn to put up with the weirdness and annoyances and frustrations, we have to have grace. And remember, that love covers a multitude of sins. And that grace is what our language is peppered with when we have to speak truth into a situation to one another. But grace is always the placeholder in our relationships because it reflects the patience of Christ with us. We see that Jesus is so supremely committed. We're so selfish. We stink at commitment. We're always looking to get out of stuff. It's so funny. We want to be invited to stuff, but I don't want to actually have to admit to go, commit to go. Like, invite me, but I don't really want to have to go, right? We're, we don't like to be committed. We're so good at discarding things that make us feel uncomfortable or we don't really get what we want out of them anymore. And in our sinful natures, we love ourselves and we look out for our own interests. Jesus' love was the opposite of that. He was all in. He gave himself freely to the ones that he loved. And to be able to fill, fulfill the command of loving requires a response to his commitment of devotion. I love the word devotion. It means to tend to constantly. To be committed to one another, to love one another, means that we tend constantly to the needs of others. Not when it's convenient for us. Not when it's easy but constantly to be devoted to one another. It means to make a priority of people in your life. Do you make space for people in your life? Not just your people, but people. People that you see that may be on the fringes of circles, that may not be connected, that may be hard to love. Do we make space for that? Because devotion is to love to love people so that they know who Jesus is. So it's all people, not just our people. So a response to Jesus' commitment to us is devoting ourselves to care, to love, and to make space for people in our lives. Do we make people important? Do we show up for people consistently? Jesus' love is selfless. We see Jesus command us to love one another as I have loved you. He demands a response of obedience with this. He has loved us to the point of his own death, paying our sin debt on the cross. And our response is obedience. It's, it's non-negotiable. Loving another person is loving them regardless of what they can do for you or what they, if they love you back going to love you, and you might not love me, but I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you to the point you ask me why. That's obedience. I think this is why God lets us have kids, okay? I mean, really think about this. Okay, what does a baby actually do for you? I know babies are great and, and everything, and some of us desperately want babies, and I understand that, but I'm just, just think, what do they actually do for you? Okay, you think about it. They cry all the time. There's babies in this room doing a great job right now, so they're good. But 
they cry, they puke on you and other things on you, right? <laughs> yes, amen. They cost a ton. They need our utmost 100% of attention and care. And eventually they grow up and they talk back. And they cost you more, okay? And you think you're the dumbest and the worstest and all the things, right? Okay? And what, would, what do we want to do for them? Anything. Protect them at any cost. Love them no matter what. Die for them a thousand times. Sacrifice whatever is needed for them. That is the obedience of doing whatever it takes forever and ever and not caring what we get from it. If you have a teenager, a thanks mom, you could ride high on that for like two weeks. <laughs> it's, it's how can the Lord use me to fulfill his will in somebody else's life and I may not get anything back from it. And in the process of obedience, we see this in verse 11, and it's so beautiful. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We find joy and love beyond comprehension. Y'all, may a relationship never end because of our lack of love. If it ends... Let it be because the other person has refused to receive that love, that grace, that devotion that you have given them because Christ has given everything to you. I'll never forget this imagery of the Last Supper, and I think it's so important. There's a place, there's this table, and they're eating together, and they're sitting, and Jesus is washing the feet, and he's washing Judas's feet too. And Judas eats too. And he knew what Judas would do. And there was still a place at his table for him. We see this love and this shift in his relationship with his disciples. He calls them friends. Their loving obedience to his commands are what identifies them as friends. See, Jesus was a friend to sinners, but that doesn't mean all sinners were his friend. His friends were characterized by his, their obedience to him. And we see a transition from slave to friend. The re relationship is mutuality, it's intimacy, it's communication. They enjoy each other. Read, I have my notes say read verse 15, so I don't forget, and I just almost read my own notes. Okay, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know his master, what his master is doing. I call you friends because I've made everything known to you. He wants an intimate relationship with us so much. God wants us so much with us that he sent his son to die, to reconcile, to bring us back to him. That's how much. He wants a relationship with us. That's how deeply he loves us. And love is hard for us. I mean, one, it involves people. Okay, we're hard. Then involve, then throw in our stuff and our pressure and our sin and weird relationships and church and all the things. And it just goes nuts. 
And it's hard for us at times to recognize friends. Heck, it's hard for us time to recognize Christians. Every other week, every week I feel like we see another Christian leader falling, moral failure, resigning, something happening. It's, it's hard. But it's the obedience. We are good at mimicking love, keeping relationships a mile wide and an inch deep, all while professing to be disciples of Christ. Remember what the Jesus' friends looked like. They were obedient to his command. If we profess faith in Jesus, we will be known by our fruit, what we are leaving behind in the world. Someone one time gave me this great imagery about discipling and bringing people into relationship with Jesus and, and showing them who Christ is. It's like standing in front of Jesus in heaven, and he looks at you, and then he looks over your shoulder and says, where is everybody? So I leave you with some questions that only you can answer for yourself. And our ability to see ourselves clearly, to see ourselves honestly, I think is a sign of spiritual maturity. Who would people say Jesus is through the way that you have loved them? Would they see the depth of his love through your vulnerability with them? Are we honest? Or are we fine people? Everything's fine. We're fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Would they see how patiently he awaits them through grace that we have shown them? Would they understand his commitment to them by our devotion for them? Would he un they understand the selflessness of his love by seeing our obedience to him? Those are hard questions for us to answer this morning. And I don't have the answers <laughs> for you. But I think when we understand God's love for us, Jesus' love for us, it changes everything. It changes how we live with people. It changes how we love people. It changes how we see people. It changes how we see ourselves. And so this morning as we pray and we close, I, I ask that we reflect on Jesus' love for us. What has it done for us? And through that, what will we do for others? And how will we love them well? Pray with me. Lord.